everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to Talking Reef Podcast, Episode 9. This is going to be another questions and answers show. I got a handful of good questions and comments through email and from the Talking Reef forum, so I'm going to spend the show discussing them. Uh, before I get into that, I do have a couple things that I wanted to talk about real quick. Uh, I have been working on the photo inventory that I talked about in the last episode. I just started getting some pictures uploaded and getting some information in there. Uh, this is still very much a work in progress. Uh, I am very interested in feedback. I'm going to include certain types of information with each photo, uh, stuff such as feeding needs, lighting needs, uh, stuff like that for coral, and certain information for fish once I get into that too. So please uh, feel free to check that out and let me know if you would like to see different types of information or uh, care needs or anything like that included with each of the photos. Uh, regarding photo contribution, uh, one of the things that I'm also going to be looking at, needless to say, I don't have pictures of every type of coral or fish or invertebrate out there. So uh, one of the things that I asked in the last show, I haven't really got much of a response on yet. I did get one listener that did offer up some photos, but that was pretty much it. So I'm hoping that people haven't really got a chance to listen to that show yet and uh, just haven't replied to that yet. But Regardless, as far as contributing photos, what I'm looking for is high quality, very clear photos where the subject or the specific species in question is pretty much the entire picture. I'm trying to avoid pictures that have multiple items in them. For example, a picture that has two or three different coral in it, I, I really want to stay away from those. I want it to be very clear what the subject is. Um, and like I said, a very high quality, very good color. I don't want to have to do a lot of editing to the pictures, um, but I want to make sure that we get real good quality pictures in here. So when people are going through this inventory database, they can quickly and accurately identify different types of species or whatever it happens to be that they're looking for. So uh, that's just some of the information regarding the photos. They can be sent in in JPEG format, that's fine. Also, another thing, I did put up a new poll on the Talking Reef website. I just kind of was a little bit curious to see what everybody thought regarding the titling of each of the podcast episodes. So far, I've been just titling them as Talking Reef Podcast uh, episode and then whatever episode number it happens to be. But I was wondering if people would rather see more of a description in there. Uh, as far as what it, what each of the episodes about, I do have a, a short little post on the home page on the front page of the Talking Reef website. So feel free to go there, get a little bit more information, and cast your vote on that. Because I'd really like to hear what everybody thinks about that. Uh, that poll is going to be open through the end of the month. Uh, at which time, when the poll closes, I will start using the new format or continue using the old format, depending on which one of the polls wins. I also put a new forum in uh, our new forum in the discussion boards. Um, this forum is going to be specifically for questions that you would like to pose that we talk about on the podcast. Uh, what I found was that with the two existing forums that were in the discussion board, I was getting a little it was getting a little bit difficult for me to keep track of the questions that I had already brought up that I had 
brought into the show and stuff like that and keep those separated from site suggestions and, and different types of things. So as far as this forum goes, any question that goes in there will make it onto the podcast. I will discuss it. It may not be the immediately following episode. For example, if you put a question in there on Monday and I post a show on Thursday, it might not make it into that show. I'm hoping that they all questions will make it into the immediate following show, but it really does depend on the amount of questions that come in there. So uh, for all show questions or anything that you want brought up on the show, specifically that you want brought up on the show, post into the new podcast questions forum. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was the sound quality of the show. Uh, I did receive a couple uh, comments regarding the sound quality of the show. I just wanted to let everybody know. This is something that I do uh, in my, basically in my free time, if you can call it that. It's, it is a lot of work to get these shows done. It usually takes me probably about two to three hours of preparation before I can even begin thinking about recording it. And then once it's recorded, uh, it takes probably a good two, at least two hours to go through and do final editing and stuff like that. Although I am getting a little bit better regarding, you know, the during the recording of the show, so I have to do a little bit less editing when it's done. But regardless, I'm basically doing this with the equipment that I have. I'm just using my existing computer, recording in GarageBand, and I'm just using a simple USB microphone. So I'm doing the best that I can with the sound quality. Uh, I I'm going to be looking at a little bit better ways to get rid of some of the ambient noise and stuff like that, but I haven't got to that yet. So please bear with me. Uh, if anybody out there wants to donate any sound equipment, I'd be more than willing to take it. But at this point, I'm not making any formal requests or anything like that. Uh, one of the things you may have noticed is uh, I haven't even sent out any type of request for donations or anything like that. It's not something that I feel I'm, I'm ready to do right now. This is something that I just want to provide as a service to the reefing community and saltwater marine fish community and hopefully help a lot of people out. So right now I'm not asking for any contributions or anything like that. But basically the sound quality is the way it is. And that's, that's why. I am doing what I can to make it a little bit better. Um, like I said, I am using a Macintosh computer. I'm recording in GarageBand. So if anybody out there has any uh, tips or tricks on what I might be able to do to get the sound quality better, I'm more than interested in listening to them. I'd really like to hear them. So that's basically my two cents regarding the sound quality of the show. So that's going to be about it for the housekeeping session, the uh, intro section. So at this point, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move on to the first question uh, for the for this episode. Okay, so for the first question of the show, this is a question that was received from email. And I'm basically going to go through this like I've went through the last few questions in the last few shows. Uh, basically, I'm going to read through the email and answer the questions as they come up. And when I get to the end of the email, I'll pretty much be done with the question and have attempted to answer everything within the question. So let's move on to the first email. First email comes from Rob from the UK, and he asks, which substrate should I use? I have read that calcium carbonate-based substrates is the best and helps with buffering. I've also read that it will not dissolve until the pH drops below 7.9, and hence this is a red herring. Well, Rob, basically, yes, it's pretty much true. What I would say the best thing to use is your standard crushed coral. Your standard crushed coral is just that. It's basically reef rubble. 
It's the crushed up remains, uh, skeletal remains of coral. And the coral skeletons are compo composed of calcium carbonate. So your crushed coral is basically that. It's, it's the calcium carbonate-based substrate that you're referring to. There are a couple different types of things that you can use, and we're going to get into that in a, in a minute later on in your question. Now, the crushed coral does come in a few different types or styles, usually available in a coarse grade, a medium grade, and a fine grade. I've tried all of these. I do prefer the fine grade all over, over the other ones. I find that it stays cleaner and provides more of an anaerobic environment and just overall looks better. Moving on with the, uh, the email, he also writes, it says, I have read about people using play sand in building sand without problems. Yes, absolutely, you can do this. I actually have recommended this on many occasions for people that are setting up large tanks. Purchasing crushed coral um, and live sand can get very, very costly, especially if you're doing a, a tank like a 100-gallon, 150, 200, 300-gallon tank. You're going to need a lot of sand uh, or a lot of crushed coral. So basically, yes, you can use play sand in this. The one thing that you want to look for is you want to make sure that it's not a silicate-based sand. One of the most common play sands that are used is something called South Down, or it used to be called South Down. I think it's called White Castle or something like that now. Usually available at your local Home Depot or hardware store. A lot of them won't have them right on the shelves, and you'll have to have them order it for you. It is much, much, much cheaper. You can usually get a good 20-pound bag for a couple dollars. It's usually not very expensive. But the nice thing about this is the... South Down or White Castle, whatever it's called now, is actually a calcium carbonate-based uh, sand, so it's perfect for it. You want to make sure that whatever you use is sanitized, it's good play sand, it's not silicate-based. A lot of common children's sanitized play sand will work well. You just really want to make sure you pick a good kind when you do that. When you do that, the, the best thing to do, uh, for example, you're going to buy 100 pounds of this play sand. I would recommend also purchasing a bag of live sand, get some kind of fine crushed coral or something like that. And what that'll do is you, you'll mix that up when you, when you lay down the sand bed, and this will help establish the live sand bed that you need in the tank. One of the catches about using play sand or really, really fine crushed coral, anything that's like sugar fine, uh, sugar sized, is that when you first lay it down, there's going to be a lot of settling. And until the sand bed becomes very established and, and it all settles and packs together, it's going to move around a lot. So you really need to be careful with this. Uh, just basically, if you put a six inch sand bed using this really fine sand, play sand or real fine crushed coral, after a couple months, you're going to notice that it's going to reduce to a 5 or a 4-inch sand bed. And basically, until that happens, that sand is going to be able to move around quite freely. So you need to be careful with your power heads and any type of water movement or anything like that that you may have. You'll find that fish uh, flipping their fins down near the base of the rocks or anywhere around the sand will very easily stir up the sand bed and, and cause the sand to float around in the tank. This was actually something I ran into with my uh, large display tank, my 100-gallon display tank that I have right now. It wasn't a major issue. I just kept a close eye on the power heads, make sure that they were uh, 
secured to the sides of the tank, uh, something I checked on a regular basis, uh, multiple times daily, until that I, uh, until the substrate was, it was packed down good and tight. Just a couple things to look out for, and it's, it's definitely, the play sand is definitely something that you can use. Uh, he goes on to write, uh, I would really be interested in to know what your thoughts are on the subject. Well, those are my thoughts and some of my opinions. Uh, I just pretty much gave them to you. So that was from Rob in the UK. So now we'll move on to the second question. This question came in from the forums, and basically there was two questions asked. First question was, what color lighting is best for coral? Soft coral, LPS, and SPS. The second question was, I know you talked about water movement on your show. I don't think you mentioned if direct or indirect water movement is best for the different types of coral. Well, this question, like I said, was originally posted on the forums, and since the, since the question was a bit vague to give a real solid answer, I responded on the forums and asked for a little bit of information, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the reply to, to that, uh, where this listener did provide more information. He goes on to write, Well, this is my setup. I've been in the hobby for about one and a half years, and this is what I have. The current tank is a 60-gallon reef tank, the 120 to 140 pounds of live rock. Uh, he actually goes on later to mention that he has a sump, so uh, that's not a bad amount. Normally the, you would do one to two pounds of live rock per gallon. With the sump added onto the 60-gallon tank, he's not actually going over that limit. So He also writes a 2SB, 2-inch uh, sand bed is what I'm assuming was meant there. Uh, I would say that Based on the current Berlin method of keeping tanks, which is usually what I follow, two inches is a little bit light. Uh, like I've mentioned before, I like to see a little bit more uh, along the lines of four or five inch. But again, there are many different ways of handling your tank, and if this is working for you, then more power to you. As far as lighting, he mentions that he has two power compact 55-watt bulbs, two VHO, an actinic and a white, two 175-watt metal halide 14K Hamiltons. It sounds like you are very covered as far as lighting this goes. And personally, I don't even think you need the two power compact bulbs in there. Unless you're using them to produce some kind of dawn-dusk type effect in your setup, they're really not going to do much for you. You're more than covered with the metal halides and the VHO. So, like I said, unless you're doing something special with those power compacts, my two cents is they're overkill. He then goes on to describe some further equipment that he has in his tank, some uh, the sump, skimmer, a chiller, heater controller, uh, the two different types of heaters he has, a calcium reactor, and stuff like that. Listed a, a lot of good pieces of equipment in there. So he goes on specifically to write a little bit more. It says, my livestock pretty much consists of some SPS, uh, describing Acropora, Montipora Digita, Staghorns, but mostly Acropora and a few LPS, just trying to keep some of the more difficult hard corals. I'm not going to get into a whole lot in this episode, but basically the Acropora and the Montipora are two different types of hard coral. The Staghorns is actually a type of Acropora, and these are the SPS type corals that a lot of people try to keep. So now with this information, that the additional information that he provided, I can actually go back and answer his original questions a little bit more specifically. So going back to the original two questions, I'm going to read them each and then answer them individually. So for the first question, it was, what color lighting is best for coral, soft, LPS, and SPS? 
Well, this is a very difficult question to answer. Uh, basically, the color lighting uh, is in reference to the temperature of the bulbs. Bulbs are usually rated on a Kelvin scale. You'll usually find a 6500K, a 10000K, 14000K, 15000K, 20000K. It can get a little bit confusing, but basically the lower the temperature of the bulb, the lower the K number, the more yellow the light's going to be. And the higher the number, going towards a 20K bulb, uh, the more blue the, the color is going to be. Now, a lot of people in the hobby usually go with a 10K bulb or a 14K bulb or a 15K bulb. And these are the closest that you'll get. 10K is usually the closest you're going to get to a, a good solid white color. The 14Ks have a little bit more blue color into them. Uh, basically, a lot of different corals have a lot of different needs. <clears throat> it's hard to say specifically, even for the experts, on which lighting is best. Basically, the overall recommendation is to provide good amounts, very strong amounts of white lighting. So you're usually going to provide uh, 10K or 14, 15, 16K bulbs. And then you're going to supplement those with what's called actinic lighting. So in this case, what, what he has is he's got 275 watt metal halide 14K bulbs. So the temperature of the bulb is 14K. This is going to be a little bit bluer than normal lighting, but it's still a good solid white color. And then what he's also doing is he's supplementing that with two VHOs. Now in here he marked uh, two VHOs A slash W, and I'm assuming that that's two VHOs actinic and white. So basically my recommendation overall uh, in this type of setup would be to keep with the 275 watt metal halide bulbs, the 14K bulbs. Those will give you a good, strong, solid white light, a little bit more to the blue spectrum. Um, and then the two VHO, I would use two actinic bulbs in there. That'll give you a lot of the blue spectrum that the coral need. Uh, it's actually been shown that they, the coral usually benefit a lot from the bluer spectrum lights, but like I said, it's, it's hard to be very specific with that. So a good combination of the two usually works out the best. A lot of people will actually take the a setup like this, they'll turn the two VHOs on, the, two, the bluer bulbs, the actinic bulbs, they'll turn those on in the morning, they'll leave those on for an hour or two hours, and then a little bit towards, you know, after that they'll turn on the two, they'll fire up the 275 watt uh, metal halide bulbs and let basically let both of all of the lights burn all day and then towards the end of the day you'll turn off the metal halide bulbs leaving the VHOs on and and then after an hour or two you'll turn off the VHOs and that's basically what people use to create your dawn dusk effect so as far as lighting goes I think you're right on with the lighting uh, keep the metal halide bulbs I think you're good there uh, take the two VHOs, set them up with two actinic bulbs. Uh, personally, like I said, I think you can dump the power compacts. I don't think you need them. I think it's just a waste of electricity and overkill. So you should be good with the lighting there. So I think I overdid that one a little bit. So we'll move on to the next question. He says, I know you talked about water movement in your show. I don't think you mentioned if indirect or direct water movement is the best for different types of coral. Generally speaking, indirect is the best. You really don't want to blow around the coral real hard. 
having a power head pointed directly at a coral, unless it's got some good distance between it, will usually cause some negative effects. Some of the SPS coral can handle it, but even them, or even then, they may grow funny or flat, or they won't have polyps opening up on the one side and, and stuff like that. So basically what I would say is the direct current is good if it's at a decent distance, so they're not getting nailed with the current. Uh, but otherwise, a good, strong, indirect current is probably the best for a lot of the, the hard coral. When you get into the LPS coral, it does vary, it can't even vary drastically. Most of them prefer a medium type current, and they won't tolerate a high current very much at all. And then for the soft coral, most of the soft coral are a, a lot, pretty much the same as the LPS. They like a medium current. Some of them even prefer some a little bit softer, lower amount of current. So basically, your soft coral are going to fall into a low to medium amount of current. The LPS are going to fall into basically the top end of the low all throughout the medium, and in some cases even high, but most of them are going to fall into the medium range. And then your SPS coral, most of the SPS coral are going to fall into a high water flow. And, and for direct or indirect, I would, like I said, I would recommend indirect in most cases. There's probably very few cases where a hard direct current would be beneficial. I think that pretty much answers all those questions. If you wanted any more detail, then uh, please feel free to send that in, and I will do my best to get that answered. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the third question at this point. A uh, little background on this question. This one came in through email, and I was really happy to see this one. It, it's a good example of exactly what I'm trying to do with this show. Uh, basically, this, uh, this listener already had a tank set up, was having some problems with it, had listened to a few of the episodes, and had it really helped, I guess, from what he's saying, these episodes that I'm doing has really helped him understand what's going on in his tank. So it was really great to read, to read this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the email. It's kind of a long one. So I'm going to go through this, uh, basically reading through what he said and answer questions as they come up. So he writes in to say, I thought I would drop you a line as I'm currently going through your podcast and just have, and have just listened to episode four. My name is Matt, and I live on the edge of London in the UK, and have been keeping fish for around 10 years, but it has only been in the last five years that I've been keeping marine fish. I currently have two tanks. The main tank is 48 by 18 by 24, which I think is about somewhere around a 75 to a 90 gallon US gallon tank, uh, just in case you were wondering. Uh, it has a large skimmer. Uh, it also has a built-in UV sterilizer, T5 lighting unit, an external filter filled with just biomedia, and a power head. It's mainly filtered by 55 kilograms of live rock and has only a very small amount of live sand. I also run an RO top-up unit, uh, RO being the reverse osmosis water, so that was a good thing, very, very filter, very clean water. And I put in calc into the RO that is used. Calc is a German term, uh, stands for Kalkwasser, and it's a supplement that's used to maintain calcium and alkalinity levels in the tank, just so everybody knows. 
The tank has been set up for about six months and is currently not really in the best conditions. And this is due to a massive hair algae outbreak. After listening to your podcast, a few things have made me have a good think about what needs to be done. So he's going to go on and list, list a few of the things that he's come up with based on listening to the podcast. So he starts a list with, change the food sources. I'm currently using mainly a dried food. I was already questioning it as it seems to make things flare up. Uh, just a little bit of background. A couple of things that I talked about previously in the use of the dry foods was that a lot of them are notorious for containing high amounts of phosphate. So if you haven't listened to the previous shows, one of the things you want to look for in your uh, dried flake foods is in the ingredients. You want to stay away from any types of flake foods that contain any types of phosphates in them. So let me continue on. Uh, he goes on to say he also wants to look into adding a deep sand bed. Uh, this is something that can be quite difficult to do in an established tank. If you have a lot of coral and a lot of stuff that's pretty much in a permanently mounted place, it can be very difficult to get a deep sand bed in an already set up tank. I do know that there are some places on the internet where you can get a little bit of information about doing this. So uh, if it's something that you want to try and you think that your tank is in a situation where you can do it and add a deep sand bed, great. I think it'll help a lot. Uh, so moving on, removing the nitrate making machine, the external filter. Uh, like I said in all the other podcasts, those external filters, those canister filters, are notorious for being nitrate factories. Uh, now, that's not the case in every type of tank set up, so don't, I don't want to hear everybody screaming that uh, canister filters are good. They can be problematic in a lot of tank setups, in a majority of the tank setups, they can be problematic. Uh, so moving on, uh, he also looks at adding an extra power head. Um, that's a great thing too. He had mentioned that he only had one power head and definitely in a tank that size you're going to need a lot more than one power head. Uh, and the last item in the list was keep up on the water changes and this is absolutely true. Uh, especially if you're having water problems like this and algae outbreaks, hair algae and stuff like that. Uh, one of the best things that you can do while you're trying to determine the cause of it is keep up on those water changes. Something that you may want need to change uh, 10-15% every single week. Uh, if it's bad, you might need to do it twice a week or maybe even more. So he goes on to write, these things I can do very easily. But the question I would like to ask is, what is the best, best method of having a good clear out in the tank? I would really like to remove uh, or take out a main amount of live rock and give it a good clean to remove most of the hair algae. Will the live rock take a short freshwater bath to rinse it off? I was thinking of a slightly harsh idea of using a wire brush on the rock. Do you think this is a good idea? I hope this doesn't seem too radical. I just wanted to get real with my tank. Now, basically, here's the best thing that you can do. If you're in a situation that you can take the, the rock out of the tank like that, what I find the best way to do is when you're doing a water change, uh, especially in a tank this size, it's going to be a lot easier. Go ahead and pull out uh, 5 or 10 gallons of water. Uh, the best way to do is use a couple buckets to hold the water in. Don't immediately dump it. Basically siphon, it, siphon the water into these two buckets and set it aside. Then what you can do is take the rock and put it into the buckets and store it in there. And basically what I will do is I'll take a, a pan or a, a different bucket that's going to be a little bit bigger that'll give me some room to work in. I'll fill it up with that water that was removed from the tank and use a toothbrush. 
you can take the rocks and then put them into this container and you can work with them very easily. So you'll take the rock, you'll put it in there, and you'll go at it with the toothbrush. I don't think you need to go as far as using the wire brush. That's going to also remove any type of good coralline algae or anything that you have on there, and it's going to scratch the heck out of the rocks. So it may or may not matter to you, uh, but a, a good toothbrush will usually take off the hair algae and any type of nuisance algae that may be on the rocks. So a toothbrush should be fine. So basically work in this container brushing off everything that's on the rocks. You're going to be keeping it in salt water so you're not going to shock or kill any of the bacteria that's inside of it. And then after you're done with the rock, you can take this small container that you've been working in and you can pour the water out, set the rock back in the tank, take your bucket of water that you took out of the tank, take that bucket, fill up your container with more water, take your next rock and repeat this process. Basically you're going to go through here, you'll have a clean, you know, clean water, relatively clean water, and you can clean off each of the rocks in this container and put them back in the tank. This way you get away from putting the rock into a fresh water. Now in reality the live rock can usually handle a short freshwater bath, uh, but it can possibly affect the bacteria culture and stuff like that that's in the rock. Uh, the other thing is it can shock the coralline algae that's on the rock and can cause it to bleach out very quickly. So I find that this is the best method, keeps everything nice and, and good, and you can get the rocks cleaned off very well doing this. So he goes on to write and says, oh, by the way, the most important bit of the tank, it's quite heavily stocked with fish, tanks, clowns, a small angel, and the cleanup crew is slightly thin on the ground. It only has a few soft coral in it, which are currently getting some problems from the hair algae. Well, this is, yeah, this is exactly what can happen, especially with hair algae. Um, it can actually start to overtake and grow right over top of your soft corals and, and smother them and cause them to die. Uh, as far as the fish go, uh, the tangs, clowns, angels, it, it's fine depending on how many you have. In a tank that size, you really want to keep it light on the, on the tangs. You can probably have one or two, but tangs are very messy fish. They produce a lot of waste, and they are very strong swimmers, so they need a lot of room. So you don't want to overcrowd with tangs. The clownfish are usually fine. Clownfish require very little area. They usually don't stray around the tank a whole lot if they've, if, once they've become used to the tank, and they, they kind of get settled in their corner, and they'll stay there. The angelfish, you, depending on the type of angel it is, you might want to be very careful with this. A, a lot of angelfish and butterfly fish have a tendency to nip at coral and eat polyps. So keep a close eye on the angelfish that you have in there. Um, but as far as that goes, yeah, you want to get the, the hair algae cleaned up. That should help, you know, with the, the soft coral and, keep, you know, keep them from dying and stuff like that. So uh, he ends the email with, please keep up the good work the pod, with the podcast as they are a real joy to listen to. And I really do appreciate that. And that's one of the best things to hear is that people are actually enjoying the show. So I hope I answered your questions. Uh, this email was from Matt uh, from the UK, which I think I mentioned earlier. Uh, I hope I answered all the questions that you had in there. Uh, it was kind of, Like I said, it was kind of a long email, and it was great to see that there were some people getting some good use out of the podcast. So if you have any further questions or you want any more detail on this, just like the rest of them, uh, send it in, let me know, and I will continue answering the questions on the show. Okay, so that's going to about end it for this episode. We went through, we had some pretty good discussion about a lot of different items. Uh, and again, uh, I welcome all different types of questions and comments 
regardless of what they have, as long as they're saltwater reef related, feel free to send them in. One thing I haven't received yet is any audio comments. So I'm just going to bring it up one more time. Audio comments are very simple to record. Uh, go ahead and record your question and send me the file. And then I can take that and stick it right into the show. And then you can get your voice on the podcast. Very easy to do. So make sure that you are out there spreading the word about the show. Uh, help get some more listeners in here. Don't forget to check out the Talking Reef website. Uh, check out the new article that's up there regarding the episode titles. Don't forget to vote in the poll when you're there and check out the forums. And then the one last thing that you can't forget about, God, there's a lot of these. Uh, don't forget to check out the the photo inventory that we're working on and shoot in your two cents about that. So I just realized there's kind of a lot of things going on here. Um, like, I, like I've always said before, I do want to make this a community show. I really want to get everybody involved in the show with what's going on. And hopefully by doing that, we'll make it all better and everybody will get a lot more value out of it. So that's going to close it for tonight. And I'd like to tell everybody to have a good night and stay subscribed. 